Welcome to the new and improved Cup of Cubby Blue, proudly affiliated with the Fans First Sports Network, where you are hopefully subscribed for a ton of great Cubs content on the Bleacher Bunch Network. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review and a rating to help other people find us. We still have all of the series-by-series updates you love, plus Bleacher Banter, as the Cubs do nothing on a homestand. I got very, I don't know, man, we're going to get into it. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about Mike Talkman's freakish on base ability, which didn't help the Cubs very much over the last week and change and more for Bleed Cubby Blue. And as always, I am joined by the one and only Danny Rocket. How's it going, Danny? Well, <laughs> you know, it, the last, it's been a while since we spoke, Sarah, because we had kind of a weird schedule for a bit there and the Cubs went to London and then they were riding high the last time. <laughs> that we had a podcast together, the Cubs were really on a bit of a roll. The maybe, well, absolutely their best role of the season. They won like 11 of 13 games or something crazy like that. That just seems like such a far away land that we used to live in and a fairy tale land that I almost don't believe exists or existed at one point. And because we've just fallen back down to earth, I was pretty hopeful that, we wouldn't get iced by going to London. And it didn't seem like that was going to be the case after that first win out there. Um, And then, you know, I don't want to put too much on like a Trey Mancini error at first base, but from that moment on, and (laughs) I'm just, and it's, and it's not Trey Mancini's fault. It really isn't. I mean, Trey Mancini's not having a great year, but you can't, you're not going to pin the Cubs woes on Trey Mancini of all people, you know? Um, But it just really, they fell off a cliff and we knew this was a tough stretch. They looked, they looked languid. They, uh, the beginning of the week, they looked like they had no spark and really you saw only glimpse of glimpses of it this week. And it just, it's, it's just frustrating to root for this team, which has no direction whatsoever it's just like a general kind of it's like it's like buying a blue chip stock that you're like hey it pays a six percent dividend this is a great deal you know and you collect your six percent as as the stock slowly erodes its principal (laughs) you know it's like you bought at 60 it's now sitting at 55 but it's still paying six percent like you know you know what i'm saying it's just I honestly know very little about the stock market, so I, I don't really know what you're saying. But I will say this. Um, the You're absolutely right about the Cubs looking languid and kind of off. I actually, when I wrote the, pre- the piece I wrote before the London series, looked at the impact travel can have on teams. And like one of the things is like you can just kind of have sloppy play and things that you thought you would do one way, you like don't do as cleanly and everything. And so earlier this week, I think it was this week, might have been last week, um, Over at Fangraphs, there was a two-part series looking at defenses across the league, and it kind of like took all of the defensive metrics and then hodgepodge them together to let you know who the best defenses were and who the worst defenses were. I was super interested in this because I was like, oh, the Cubs have this vaunted defense, right? Like the whole point of Dansby and Nico and Belly up the middle is like, ah, the best defense, yada, yada. And it turns out the Cubs are exactly in the middle. They are like 13th by all these defensive metrics. And as far as I can tell, that is not because the talent isn't there. Like the talent is obviously there. Part of the reason Dansby Swanson is an all-star is because he is one of the best shortstops 
in the game. And a lot of that value is defensive, not to say that the bat hasn't been great, but the bat has not been nearly as good as the defense, but they're not consistent. It's like for all of the good that you're getting from Dansby, you get the Mancini airs, you get Jared Young trying to do too much. You get Christopher Morrell throwing the ball away. You get say a Suzuki misplaying a ball in right field. And it's like, Whatever you're gaining by having Cody Bellinger at first base and Mike Talkman doing great things in center field is being erased <laughs> by all the other guys on the field. And it's just not a very consistent team. I keep having to remind myself, I, I titled the document and we might come up with a better title during the show, but I'm like, ah, it's like must win series number three. Because if you recall, <laughs> the first time the Cubs played the Pirates, like, ah, it must win series. And they did. They like won all the games. And it was like, they played the Pirates again. It's like must win series. And they... Great, win all the games. And then it's like they they just turn off the burners or something. It's like they can't get up for the Philly series and they're tired from the London series. And so they just look terrible. Or they're just worse than the Phillies. I mean, you know, we can beat the Pirates because we're in their division. It's a crap division. We can beat the Cardinals uh, sometimes. Uh, but that we just kind of play each other to even. No matter if our team's good and their team's bad or our team's bad and their team's good, the Cardinals and the Cubs seem to play each other somewhat even. A lot of the times, just I don't know what that's about. Just some sort of weird, like psychological rivalry thing, maybe. But you know, I I could see us going in. This team is so confounding. The Cubs. I can see us going in and sweeping the Brewers right now. And the game starts what in two hours. I can see us going in there, putting up a bunch of runs today. You know, and further confounding Cubs fans. We're. In because the team is directionless, so well, it has two directions it's up and down, but most but a little bit more down than up. And it's just like they're super streaky when it comes to that stuff. Um, we're better than the Brewers in every single metric that I've looked up. We have a, a better bullpen ERA, we have a better starters ERA, which is was a little surprising considering that's the Brewers' strength. We have a better OPS, we've scored more runs than the Brewers, we're better with runners in scoring position than the Brewers. Like Stat after stat after stat, um, we've scored. Yeah, I think I already said more runs. At stat after stat after stat, we're better than the Pirates. We're better than the Brewers. We're better than the Reds in most of these categories. But what we don't have is wins. And I don't know. It's what do you the the Pythag is off. Like we're supposed to be. <laughs> and I know that. Games are not played on paper. They're played with real human beings. And some of this stuff, you got to kind of come back. Just like I said, you can't blame Mancini. You know, he's not really known as a great first baseman. He's not known as a right fielder, barely at all. Um, he was with the Orioles and he was pretty good. He had cancer, came back from that. You know, they they didn't really need him. They got him anyway. And then they just pl put him out there all the time for no reason. Even they pinch hit him just to get outs. You know, I don't get it. You're not going to blame Mancini for Jed's poor decisions of signing him. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not Mancini's fault. First he's, base, he's... third base, musical chairs, th right field because of Saya's injury. Musical chairs, Saya's been bad. He shouldn't even play. He's been so bad. Like, you know, it's Hap's been bad. Like, like no, no, nobody's clicking at all. Like, well, let's, I don't know. What were you going to say? It's I, really I was going to say, let, let's do some, like, a little bit of a series-by-series series recap here. Yeah, we can talk about uh, we don't. We don't need to, like, look, we've got a lot of games to cover because, as Danny mentioned at the top, we're a little bit off schedule-wise here. So we haven't actually talked since uh, the Philly series, and we can kind of do this fast, honestly, because, frankly, 
that series Philly that series Philly that Philly series was kind of, God Danny I I am I've not had my coffee yet uh was kind of kind of forgettable like I am not all that happy with what happened um at Wrigley Field over the course of those days but uh you know the Cubs could do nothing basically against Ranger Suarez Aaron Nola who's great uh and Taiwan Walker and it was just like they the only game where they put up more than one run was the game against Nola of all games. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, I don't know. It was well, just kind of gross. And they were down seven runs in that game. Cause smiley made us frowny. Um, yeah. You, smiley has not been, he, he has struggled his last couple of starts now. Yeah. Smiley, smiley's come back down to earth and you know, cause he was just brilliantly excellent. And now Ben bad, gave up seven runs on nine hits in that game. And then Jamison Tyone was the first one out of the gate. And uh, that was, he stunk. He stunk again. He stunk twice since this week. Uh, he was terrible yesterday too. And against Cleveland and uh, they looked just super flat. You know, they only scored one run in two of the games. And in one of them, like Madrigal forgot the outs and tried to bunt in a dumb situation. Dude. And then Morell tried to bunt, even though he's a three hitter. I mean, and and there was nobody out and two on like like everybody's just stupid and I'm like and I mean the only bright spot in the whole Philly series is that Hendo looked really good even though he lost they couldn't hit with runners in scoring position they couldn't put any runs across they tried to crawl back into the one game where they scored five runs but they lost eight to five because they just dug the uh, Smiley just dug us such a big hole. Um, you know, I guess you could say Wisniewski's been looking good in his relief appearances. Assad, too, in his relief appearance. But it's like garbage time by the time these guys come out. And it's like, I don't know. It's They're flat after London. You give it excuse for a couple days. and But to get swept, I mean, they weren't even competitive in that Philly series. They weren't. Um, they did. I mean... I'm going to put that one just behind him and chalk it up to baseball. It's like you get swept. Sometimes it happens. Although I do think we need to talk about this tie-on situation because like, why am I watching Jamison tie-on just go out and get hammered every fifth day? I, is this a competitive team or not? What is the plan? Because if it's competitive, competitive team, I would rather see that spot put a sod out there as an opener or something, and then let tie-on come in later, like mix it up a little bit, man. He has been really candid to his credit on the postgame shows talking about how, you know, his pitch mix was kind of off. He was struggling with the timer a little bit at the start of the season and then lefties really started hitting him super hard. And now everybody just stacks lefties to the extent that they can against him. And until he figures out a sequencing method that gets out all of those lefties, that is what he's going to have to face over and over and over again. And he hasn't figured it out yet. And props to Jamison Tyon for being very candid about that. That's kind of what I had noticed too. Like I, I you can see it happening. Like if, as you look at his starts and you look at who is doing damage against him. And also if this team is going to compete, they probably can't just toss up an auto loss every fifth day. Why? While Jamison Tyon works out how he's going to get lefties out. Yeah. Well, he's also leaving balls in the middle of the plate. Does he talk about that in his pressers? <laughs> hey, maybe I shouldn't like leave meatballs. I mean, but then there was like yesterday, everybody was, and this is fair, but I think the first, who hit that first two run homer last night off of him? It was, 
um, whoever did that, the ball was in his at his eyes, you know. So everybody's like, this is not on Tyone. Uh, but you know, there's it was always- Jimenez. I had to think about it for a second because it was somebody who was kind of unlikely he would hit it too. It's yeah, it was a lead- Jimenez. yeah, the leadoff hitter. Yeah, so it was Jimenez, and it. I mean, it's just like, yeah, sure. I mean, I get it. Like, uh, you know, these things happen sometimes. The guy went and got it. But, like, this is a Cleveland team that doesn't normally hit home runs. So, at some point, uh, it's is it just bad luck or is it bad pitch? I mean, this was not a meatball that he threw to the guy is all I'm saying. And it still went over the fence. So, like, I mean – you know what? How how many times am I going to look at Jameson's Tyone FIP and be like, oh, it shouldn't be like this, you know, because um, it is like this. He's got a 707 ERA. People have been comparing him to Edwin Jackson, which is really unfair to Edwin Jackson because Edwin Jackson was like twice as good as Jameson Tyone has been this year. I think the better comparison would be more of Tyler Chatwood, who couldn't who who a uh, like you couldn't get really you couldn't get innings out of him. Remember, he used to blow up in the first half of the time, not even make it out of the first and just was never good. And yeah. How long do you run this out there? I don't know, but like every it, it is frustrating to watch Tyon go out there, basically give up the game. And then here comes Javier Assad or Hayden Wisniewski and they look pretty good for three or four innings. And it's, pointless three or it's a pointless three or four innings like it doesn't even matter at that point because the game is over I mean one of the things that I noticed in the finale against Cleveland which is the game that the Cubs came back and forced extra innings on which you know what props to them for showing a little bit of fight like that was actually kind of fun for a hot minute while the Cubs came back there but they've got it was just a weird sequencing man so Tyon has a lefty problem right and the Indy the Guardians my apologies the Guardians teed off on Tyon then Wesneski comes into this game. Wesneski has the same lefty problem that Tyon does, except Wesneski looks fine. <laughs> like the yes. Guardians don't have to pinch it anyone at all, really, because Hayden Wesneski is the exact same lineup that you would have for Jamison Tyon. And then Alzali comes in to try to close it down after the Cubs get to Class A. And what does Alzali have, Danny? Oh, a lefty problem. I'm like, you don't even force them to like pinch hit at any point in time and like bring in some different dudes. Yeah, no, exactly. And because we have no lefties out of the pen, first of all, to even throw at you. Um, uh, there's one guy. Is Anthony K? Anthony K is a yeah. lefty. He is the well, only lefty. Which, by the way, you know, like, not, no spoiler alerts, but you know what the Brewers are worst against than almost anyone in the major leagues except the Colorado Rockies? Uh, uh, yeah, they can't hit. Um, they can't hit lefties. Lefties at all, yeah. The, unfortunately, the Cubs will not be able to really take advantage of this at all. <laughs> yeah, we can't hit righties, so... I mean, uh, yeah, it's um, it, there's just a yeah, there's big holes in the Brewers team. Like whoever wins the Central, like God, you know, God bless them. Like <laughs> it, it, hopefully they're hopefully whoever wins the Central is on a serious role. And the only team that shows that they could they can even attempt to do something like that is the Cincinnati Reds, who were able to rattle off 12 state straight. Keep waiting for the Cubs to do something like that. But once you throw Tyone out there every fifth day, it ain't going to happen. Oh, and when you have games normally on a Sunday every week, you know, and you can't win on a Sunday, what does that bring the Cubs to like two and 12, two and 13? Now something like something just ridiculously. And I know that those don't matter, but they do matter because it's about closing it out. It's about like, let you know, never completing the sweep, never being able to get that done. Um, Except against the pirates. (laughs) Yeah. That's the only team we can beat. And like, fine. We're built to beat the pirates. 
big freaking deal. Oh, that's the battle for third place. Yeah. You know, like, what are we doing here? Like, it's you, you just you, you keep waiting for this to turn, turn around. You got the travel ball boys out there. It's not like the Cubs did nothing. They went and got Saya. They went and got Dansby. They signed somebody like Tyone. They're spending good money for all those dudes. You know, they're still paying Hayward. You know, I tweeted out today that uh, the the for the between Saya and Hayward, the Cubs are paying forty million dollars for one point one B war win. One point. Well, don't, don't forget one. to throw Cody Bellinger and whatever his B war is in there because they're also paying for that. Um, well, the, the Dodgers are paying for that. I guess that's a wash. No, well, no, they me, aren't. Be, that's right. They're paying Bellinger. Yeah, the he they just let him go, right? Yeah, they 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 the they Dodgers are not play, paying Cody Bellinger. The Cubs are paying. Yeah, oh. non-tendered. The Cubs are paying Cody Bellinger, Jason Hayward, and Saya to do like very oh. little. Let me oh. ask you. So here's a question for you. Here's yeah. a fun one. Uh, Saya Suzuki or Jason Hayward. Who do you think has more home runs? Oh, I know. I already know the answer. It's Jason Hayward. He's got eight, and S- Suzuki's got six. Um, and, uh, I think Suzuki, Suzuki's got a, a little bit higher of a batting average by like only 10 points. And then, uh, Hayward as, as like what, a hundred less at bats or something or 70 less at bats. Yeah. He's basically in a platoon. Yeah. He's in a, yeah. But unfortunately say has played so bad poorly, especially this last week, man, he's got no hits. Um, and, uh, he's played so badly that people are actually calling for a bit of a platoon from Saya. Because he is better against lefties, but you well, know. So here's the thing: Jason Hayward uh, is slashing 258, 353, 479, and again, admittedly, in a platoon, and that's taking advantage of the platoon situation. Say Suzuki is slashing 246, 335, 386. So Jason Hayward has been just flat out better. <laughs> Say exactly. Suzuki. No, he's worth 1.1 B WAR, and Suzuki's worth zero. You're paying. I mean, I'm just. You know, these decisions and like I didn't expect him to be like the same caliber as he was in Japan because it, it's just different here. You know, there's a this is an international league, whereas, you know, Japan has some international players. MLB is really international people from, you know, Latin America with all, you know, the, those 25 countries. Plus, um, so you got some Europeans, you got some Canadians. You, I mean, you don't. In Japan, you don't you don't have that. You're not facing that kind of level of developed talent. It's a high level of talent. Don't get me wrong. I mean, freaking best player that ever existed comes from Japan, you know. Um, but yeah, Seiya Suzuki has been a, he's fallen off a cliff. Like his batting average, everything about him is a hundred or two hundred points lower. And it's you know, I, well. He's not going to be an all-star anytime soon. Let's just put it that way. Um, we'll talk about the Cubs and who their all-stars are on the flip side. We'll also talk through some hope that NL Central still winnable, as Danny noted a minute ago. First, we need to take a quick break for our sponsors. We've got four games against the division-leading Milwaukee Brewers kicking off uh, today. It is Monday, July 3rd, and... Honestly, it's the most must-win series since both of those must-win series against the Pirates, but first a quick break. All right, we're back. Uh, All-Stars were announced, and look, no real surprises here. Marcus Stroman and Justin Steele have been two of the best pitchers in baseball. They both make the All-Star team. Dansby Swanson, as I mentioned earlier, uh, mostly defensively, but he's been a solid offensive contributor too. 
has the most uh, F war of any shortstop in the National League. He goes as a reserve um, for the NL as well. I am just going to like get on my soapbox here for a second. I have a piece I'm working on about this at Bleed Cubby Blue, not specifically the all-star snub piece of it, but just how good Christopher Morrell has been since he got called back from Iowa. I really hate that Christopher Morrell is not an all-star. He has had an absolutely phenomenal 42 game campaign since he got called up from Iowa and he was great in Iowa. It's not like he did anything this season to not be an all-star other than Jed Hoyer didn't call him up soon enough. So, you know, you get 15 home runs in 42 games. You're absolutely smashing the ball. You're he's in June. He cut his K rate down to 20% raising his walk rate up to 9.3%. I mean, I just, everything about what Christopher Morrell has done has been fire and it just sucks that the reason he's not an all-star is because Jed Hoyer let him languish in Iowa for a bit. Well, not only that, he has no position. You know, they won't give they they still won't give him a position. I saw everybody, you know, he threw that ball away last night, uh, playing third. He, you know, the right field that he plays it doesn't look right. It, you know, he takes bad routes. Then they put him at DH. But everybody's like, "No, oh, he's a negative. He's a negative win player when it comes to defense. You can't put him out there." Da da da. And I'm like. Well, maybe if he didn't have to play a different position every freaking day and he could just be the third baseman and said you got like Nikki five steps out there, try, you know, trying to <laughs> wing the ball, out there, you know, to get it to first base, you know, let Morell play there every day. And guess what? He might get better at it, you know, like give him a chance out there. Steps. It is. And I'm like, you know, and I, listen, I'm, I'm kind of I've come around on Nikki five steps because he's. You know, he has some bat to ball skills that are pretty elite. Like now he forgets how many outs there are. He forgets he, he bunts when he should and he, he does dumb stuff and he and he can barely he, he hit the home run. He hit a home run on Friday, with, you know, so he's showing his slug. It's not much, but I'm just saying, like, why are you going with Nikki five steps over Christopher Morrell and giving Nikki all the opportunities in the world to just be an everyday third baseman, which he's never been in his career where Christopher Morrell, if you a break with him and give him the, the job from day one. Now, maybe he throws a bunch of balls away and everybody's calling for his head, you know, I don't, but they never, we won't know because we never got to see who that Christopher Morrell is. You know, we never got to see it. Saw him play left third base second when Nico was hurt. We got to, and the first time he got to play the position he's played most is in his entire career was um, yesterday. Now, if you do with Morrell, what you did with Nikki five steps and you let Morrell have that job to lose coming out of the season and it wasn't well. You got Patrick Wisdom to contend with too at that, but that's his position too. And he did the same thing. He had a bunch of home runs right away, and then he got hurt. But let's say you give Morrell that position, he might have he might have twenty five home runs right now. Oh, and for sure. He might be starting like we would like at third base because he's having this amazing. Uh, I think he's already passed Rookie of the Year uh, contention because same reason they never let him play you know like they don't believe in Christopher Morrell and it is absolutely it's mind-boggling because the guy does nothing but perform because he was never on a top 100 prospect list in his entire life he went from never being on a prospect list to being one of the best players in the major leagues that's how poorly these 
That's why you can't trust any of these stupid lists that they put out. And everybody's like, hey, is it number 97 on the list? Who cares? Morrell never got to be on a list, and he's the greatest player on the Cubs. So, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 I know you're mad that he's not on the All-Star team. I'm mad that the Cubs don't even value him enough to get him on an All-Star team. So here are some numbers for Christopher Morrell, and he has not seen, uh, has not quite reached the qualified numbers on StatCast to get the full player card. So I can't tell you like where he sits in terms of barrel percentage and stuff. But I can tell you all these numbers are very, very good. So I imagine once he qualifies, he will be in the 90th, 92nd percentile on these things because they're quite good. Max exit velocity is 113.6 miles per hour. His barrel percentage is 15.9%. Uh, his He hits the ball. So freaking hard, Danny. It is out of control. His hard hit rate is 46.7%. When you look at, I was I was watching um, the pregame yesterday and they showed the top slugging in baseball for the season. And the list is like Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, two other guys, Christopher Morrell. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and the and it the the eye test of it is just so obvious to me, you know, that this is just a dude that should be out there. And, uh, you know, as long as we're uh, fluffing morell here, can I just tell you my my favorite uh, thing that he did this week? And I know he he was responsible for the big he got the big hit in the comeback. He got uh, he got all the hits in the comeback. He got the yeah. first run. Yeah. He got the he scored the second run or he scored the first run. He got the second RBI with his home run. And then he's the one who delivered with in the single. ninth yeah. with a single, two RBI single. Like he was most of the Cubs offense in that in that win. Yeah. Or it wasn't it, a win, sorry, in the comeback loss. Yeah, in the comeback. In the almost a win. Yeah, it was it, the closest thing we had to a win since like Monday. And he hit a home run in the only win that we got all week um, as well. Uh, but on Wednesday, in the game that the Cubs tried to come back out of, uh, off of after Smiley was bad, when the, the bases were loaded and Christopher Morrell was at the plate, um, crowd was on their feet going nuts. And Christopher Morrell went from 0-2 to 4-2. And, and he yes, took he that walk. And that was almost more impressive because, like, a lot of people compare him to, like, Javi because he's, like, a little more free-swinging. But when – and Javi would have definitely struck out in that moment. Like, you know, or hit a great play. <laughs> One of the two is going to happen, but he's Javi's certainly not walking with the bases loaded. I tell you that much. But Christopher Morrell was able to like hold it back to the point and wait for his pitch and see the spin and do all the things he needed to do to take that walk. Would I have rather him hit a grand slam? Slam absolutely, but he needed to cut down on the strikeouts because he was striking out half the time. But if you're hitting the ball the other time at 110 miles per hour and a half of that time over a fence, then I don't really care how you're getting out, you know, at that point, but now you're getting, now you're getting base hits, you're getting doubles, you're slugging. I mean, oh, he's my favorite I know. player and, they, and the Cubs don't like him. He's my favorite player too. I, so the, I know exactly what at that you're talking about where he went from O2 to a walk. He also in the, at that yesterday against class a where you know, he got the single to score two runs and get make it six to five, I think, was what he made the score at that point in time. Um, he takes a slider that is the perfect slider designed to get to make Christopher Morrell swing at it. And it clearly disrupts the entire Cleveland plan for getting Christopher Morrell out 
Because if he is not going to swing at that slider off the plate, all of a sudden they have to throw things in the zone to him. And you throw any pitch in the zone to that man and he can hit it hard. And he did. And I just, I love Christopher Morrell. I love everything about his game. I love the adjustments he's making. I love how much fun he has. I love that he goes out and talks to people and he's always smiling and he's just kind of a happy-go-lucky guy who happens to have like preternatural bat speed and an insane ability. Like that swing is so easy, Danny. You know how Javi used to swing and it looked like Javi was going to throw his back out on every swing because he just like, you could see the effort in his Mm -hmm. swing. Morel does not do that. Morel's swing looks like just the natural, easy swing of a person. He does not look like he's going to throw his back out. He does not look like he's going to corkscrew himself into the ground. He just gets so much bat speed. I cannot remember what the exact stat was yesterday. I think they said something like 11 of his home runs have been over 400 feet. The man just does not hit weak shots. (laughs) Yeah, well, and that's why you get the Javi comparison, because neither did he. You know, he would hit these monster shots with just and but you're right. It was not Javi was not easy power. Um, it, it looked very effortful. Um, <laughs> but, you know, because I'll get back to kind of what we were talking about um, with uh, the all star picks, too, because I it, I'd love to see Chris in the in the uh, home run derby. I think that would be incredible. And, you know, you just pointed out why, because he hits these monster shots uh, very easily, but they're not going to do that either because he's not on anybody's radar. And I blame the Cubs front office and David Ross to whatever extent he gets to make the lineups. And, um, but when it comes to somebody like Dansby Swanson making it, I was kind of on, on the Cubs pod the, the other morning um, there was a, the game on Saturday, Dansby, Bellinger kept getting on base in the, the games that the Cubs, the Cubs got shut out. That was delayed three hours by rain. Um, Bellinger went three for four in that game. He hit a double and Dansby Swanson was hitting behind him. And every time that there was a chance for the Cubs to break through and maybe score some runs, Dansby either struck out or, or got a fielder's choice or something like that. And I was getting annoyed at it as I was talking about the game on Cubs pod. And I was like, and I just blurted out, Dansby Swanson's not an all-star. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know where that came from. And it, it's because, you know, Dansby, he hoovers the book. Bu- he's getting to a lot of balls. He doesn't do the flashy things like, and like Javi would do and flip it behind his back and dive and do this crazy stuff. He does a little bit of that. He gets to a lot of baseballs. He makes all the plays. A lot of it's ruined. Like you said, by Trey Mancini trying to catch it on the other end of it and stuff like that. Um, but he, he also hasn't come through super clutch for the team in which he's hit uh, like a walk off or something like that. So there's no heroism in my Dansby Swanson memories. I'm just like, yeah, he's solid. He's solid. He's hitting 265. But is, but when I looked at all the other shortstops in the major leagues, you've got a few like Correa in the National League underperforming what he was supposed to do and what he's done in the past. Um, and it's like Dansby is an all-star in a just because he's better than the other ones. Does that make sense? Like, it's like he doesn't have a very high OPS, for example. Like he's got a 744 OPS. Like, does not really impress you. Doesn't steal a lot of bases. You know, like Wander Franco's got 26 stolen bases and 802 OPS. But he plays. Dude, Wander K- Franco is not on the All-Star team. He's not on the All-Star team. And exactly. he's so good. I don't know what is going on. Exactly. So I'm like, why is so I just I feel like I'm living in crazy land is all I'm saying. When like you look at 
Dansby Swanson's batting 256. Okay. I, I'm, he's got nine home runs. Like, sure. I mean, I guess it's good. Like, the, the defense is there. He's solid in all ways, but all-star? Like, I guess I've got something different in my head when I think of an all-star shortstop, you know, that it's just – and I'm looking up and down, the and, you know, Correa's batting 218, you know. That, that's way – he's playing under his contract. Bogarts, uh, pretty similar numbers to Dansby, but on a disappointing San Diego team. Um, As opposed to a disappointing Cubs team. Are yeah. the Cubs disappointing? Or are the Cubs just doing exactly what everybody thought they would do? No, no, they're absolutely doing what uh, what uh, they predicted of them to do, given – and they did add a lot. I mean, they really did. I mean, they went – as I said, they went out and got say They went out and got Dansby. Dansby's an all-star because, you know, as far – do it by open. If you want to talk offense, the only other guy in the national league with a better OPS than Dansby Swanson, who's qualified is Francisco Lindor, who's batting 223 and has an OPP of 306, but he's got 17 dongs. So I don't know. It's like you get the power, but you don't get the, you don't get the, uh, the average for it. Um, and, yeah. Eze- and but Ezekiel Tovar is basically having the same season as Dansby Swanson, and nobody's ever heard of him because he plays for the Colorado Rockies. Like, well, you- fantasy people have heard of Ezekiel Tovar because Colorado Rockies are good fantasy assets because they play in cores half the time. But right. you're so absolutely like, right. You're absolutely right. You know, so I'm just like, you know, but I'm just, I'm not saying Dansby's bad. I'm not trying to like talk smack on Dansby Swanson being an all-star. No, but you want to you- talk smack on Ezekiel Tovar though. <laughs> no, no, they're all fine. I, I'm just saying I, when I when I looked at the numbers, I'm like, Bobachet's the only good one. You know, of of all of them, <laughs> Bobachet is the only. And Wander Franco, Wander Franco's been oh, great. Yeah, yeah, and Wander Franco, I would say, yeah, Bobachet and Wander Franco are really the only all-star shortstops. So when you look at the numbers. Those are the guys that have all-star numbers. Like, you know, anybody that lives listens to the Cubs broadcast know that Ron Coomer was once an all-star. Well, I hey. yeah, I want everybody to go look up his first half numbers that year that he was an all-star, and you'll see why. It, and then look up his second half numbers, and then look up all the other years he played baseball, and know that you know Ron Ron Coomer being an all-star is a little bit of a stretch when you think of. <laughs> Speaking of the broadcast for one second, uh, before we jump into this Milwaukee series, I was so pleased with the broadcast yesterday with Beth Moens and Jim Deshays calling this Cubs comeback against the Guardians. And I really wish Joe Girardi had not been in the booth because I don't think he added all that much. And Jim Deshays and Beth Moens are so good together. But there was this moment where they were talking about how it was the Cubs' first comeback of four plus runs in the ninth inning since that 2008 comeback um, against the Brewers, the Len Casper voice crack comeback. And I I got chills with the notion that Beth Moans was Moans was calling play by play for a game of that caliber. And the Cubs obviously didn't manage to get it all the way there. They did not manage to get the walk off win moment, but I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to get to hear Beth Moans call that. Because that would have been cool as hell. And can I just say, can she do more of the? She's so good. Go listen to that ninth inning. Whether you like the marquee broadcast or not, just go listen to that ninth inning with Beth calling it. 
It is phenomenal. She is such a pro. I love her. Yeah, it's I would I I never watch the marquee broadcast. Like I'm just done with them. Like I, you know, they've lost me now until until you tell me that something's worth watching. I'm done with it. So, but I'm I would like them to stick with somebody. I would like them to stick with Beth Mowens and Deshays and say, hey, this is the team and this is what we're doing. But for they're constantly switching it out. And that's that is the biggest problem. Um, not to mention that they treat it like a national broadcast with all their national broadcasters. And I saw even Bleacher Nation, who, you know, 99 out of 100 times, those guys try to get a pretty positive spin about just about everything that can happen. They don't go negative too often, but they went negative about Marquee in that they don't necessarily want a homer to be calling the game. Like you don't have to be a homer homer, but please do not cheer for the other team or be just as excited with your, with your voice level rise when um, the other team does something good um, for them for, you know, like when the, when the guardian scored in the 10th, don't give yourself a voice rise. You have to sound somewhat disappointed that it happened. Even if you let your voice rise, it's got to have a bit of damn it in it. Disappointment because they know your audience because otherwise we, we get confused out here. And Pat Hughes is the king at doing it. And, and he's the only one worth listening to. Why do you think we miss Ron Santo? Because he gave a crap about the team, you know, and I love that Beth Moens calls the games, but she calls them so infrequently that so many people are tuning in being like, who the hell is this? Why do I got to listen to this? I want my people that I always listen to just choose somebody and go with it. Well, I'm just saying, I thought she absolutely nailed it. I, I thought she absolutely nailed it. You should really go back and listen to that ninth inning if you haven't. And um, I don't know if she's calling more this weekend because of the holiday or what's going on, but I hope she is because she's great. I hope it's because Boo's fired, but I don't think that's going to happen. I know. Uh, let's talk about this Milwaukee series. Super important series. The Cubs are how many games in back of the division right now? I looked this up before the show and then I forgot five and a half, or six games, six games out of first place. Um, the Reds and Brewers are tied at 45 and 39 a piece. The Cubs are 38 and 44 they have a chance to make up some serious ground in this one series, at least against the Brewers, if not against the Reds. The Cubs will throw Drew Smiley versus Julio Tehran tonight, Kyle Hendricks versus, or today, I should say, it's an afternoon game, Kyle Hendricks against Wade Miley tomorrow afternoon, Justin Steele against Adrian Hauser, and then finish up with Marcus Stroman against Freddie Peralta. These should all be winnable matchups. Like, there's nothing in this set of Brewers pitchers that terrifies me even a little bit at all. Yeah, at least Jamison Tyone isn't pitching in this series against our division rivals. And you're right. If we sweep, uh, we can be two games back of Milwaukee. Like, just like that. You know, I, depending on what the Reds do, we but we could at least be maybe climbing over Pittsburgh and sending Milwaukee behind them. I mean, my dream is still that the NL Central all ends up 81 and 81, and then it's just massive chaos at the end of the season. <laughs> They have to play some little league round robin tournament of three inning games or some cockamamie thing that Rob Manfred dreams up where there's always a runner on second. God. <laughs> I Yeah, they're all winnable. We, we have, I said at the beginning of the show, we have better stats than the Milwaukee Brewers in all ways. 
and there's nothing except for wins, except for wins. <laughs> and the only thing that would make this team consistent would be to be inconsistent and continue to and continue to confound us by now winning four games in a row after being after losing all these games at home and then they've never won a game at Yankee Stadium ever not one time ever it since there's been interleague right. play and probably not in the 1930s when they played there against Babe Ruth <laughs> so um either but they've never won at Yankee Stadium in New York against the Yankees in New York at all so that's a tall order they have to win all seven games to be above 500 by the all-star break. I am skeptical that's going to happen, but we'll see what happens. I mean, they have shown up for division series before and hopefully they will do that here. If they do, uh, they're going to need some guys to get hot at the plate. And right now it's not going to shock anybody that the Cubs do not have very many hot bats at the moment. The hottest Cubs hitter is Nick Madrigal, who has a WRC plus of 175. Over the last couple of weeks, nobody really knows how that happened. But congrats, Nick Madrigal, for leading the list for the first time this season. Nico Horner is second at 124. Ian Happ is just over the hot bats line at 110. And that is really it. Uh, everybody, Cody Bellinger is sort of in the middle. Everybody else is a cold bat. Dansby Swanson has a WRC plus of 81 over the last two weeks. Jan Gomes is at 77. Christopher Morell is at 75. Mike Talkman is at 60. And Seiya Suzuki is slashing 129, 216, 161 over the last two weeks has a WRC plus of eight. Eight. <laughs> eight. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, a lot of these guys disappeared. Um, Ian Happ disappeared. Suzuki never really showed up except for like one week. Um, I don't know. Like it's, it's all been confounding and disappointing. Um, I don't know, J Jared Young. We didn't really talk about him. You know, he he came and they sent uh, Mastrobony away. Yeah, that was good. Well, I, I like Jared Young's bat. I think that I prefer Cody Bellinger at first base. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they're trying to do with Jared Young, except for like maybe even spark the team a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, he was doing great down in the minors, and we we've seen how that doesn't really transfer. To, for some guys, I mean, Madrigal, it seemed to work in a way, you know, you brought him up as the hot bat. Um, he went down to the minors for a little bit, got right, came back up and has been doing great since then. Um, maybe they're just like, Hey, we get, shake this thing up. We got to get somebody to do somebody, something, um, you know, and that's where Jared Young comes in, I guess, into the picture. Just like, Hey man, Mervis didn't work out. You're 27 years old. You deserve a little bit of major. He had a little bit of major league time last year. I don't even remember him being there. Um, but yeah, it's just somebody do somebody's got to step up, you know, and get that big hit. And Jared Young was trying to do it. He had a great week, first week back in the majors. Um, then for some reason they <laughs> Ross Ross kept pinch hitting uh, Mancini for him. That was ridiculous. I I just don't even understand. And I get it. You're up nine nothing or whatever. But does Mancini really need that at bat more than Jared Young needs that at bat? He does not. I promise he does not. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Brewers bats for a second. 
they also are similarly kind of top, like there are two guys who make the hot list here and everybody else is kind of middling. Uh, Rhinel Tapia has WRC plus of 145, but that is, that's impartial playing time over the last couple of weeks. And Christian Yelich has WRC plus of 133 over the last couple of weeks. And honestly, a um, couple of guys hanging out in the middle here before you get to a long list of dudes who are on the cold list, including Joey Weimer, Luis Sirius, who I believe got sent back to AAA, so I probably shouldn't have him on this list at all. Somebody named Blake Perkins that I didn't know played for the Milwaukee Brewers, Brian Anderson and Rowdy Telez, all with WRC pluses under 85. Rowdy Telez has a WRC plus in the last two weeks of 12. Yeah. Yeah, Brewers, pretty disappointing offense. Uh, you know, they're not, they're not good. I mean, I don't, I can't say that any team in the NL central is good, but I mean, they're in first place with a negative run differential. So I, I think that they could, they might very well sell off too. You know, this might be the end of, they, they might sell off in first place because they know they can't afford to keep their guys and they've got some ex- expiring contracts. So. I'm going to have uh, Eric Wheelow, I think, on the Sun Ranto show tonight. Uh, we postponed from last night because the game was so postponed. And um, I'm curious to hear from him. He's a very funny stand-up comedian uh, who is a huge Brewers fan. And we're actually going to catch the game up in Milwaukee on Wednesday. But he's been – he texted me something. Um, let me see if I can find it because I asked him. He couldn't come on the show yesterday, and but he I think he can come in um, – he can come in uh, to the show tonight. And he said, Brewers are seven and three in their last 10, sitting in first place after being beat up all year. The Brewers always find a way. The Cubs are coming to Miller Park dragging ass. Ross is a dumpster fire. I'm smelling a sweep and finally the ouster of Ross. You're welcome in advance, Cubs fans. That is his statement. And (laughs) I know he's talking a little trash. He is an insult comic, but from where I sit, you know, you're looking at a team that's, that's been pretty disappointing. I think overall, it's only $10 to go to the game on a holiday weekend today against the Cubs Brewers. Nobody's showing up for this thing. There is no demand even from their own fans because they don't believe in their team, which hasn't played well. They don't hit. They don't. They're averaging pitching. Their dudes are having off years, and they remain in first place for no reason. So Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not going up to Milwaukee because, frankly, I don't have a car, and I'd have to rent a car or, like, get a zip car or something, and that's a pain, or I'd have to hitch a ride or whatever. And Milwaukee's just far enough away that I don't really want to go up there. For these games, I'll watch them uh, from the comfort of my apartment in Chicago. But I I will say, the Brewers do always seem to find a way, and the Cubs do seem to always give it up. And I just, I don't know. I still think David Ross's job is totally secure, but who knows? Maybe this will be the series where that finally does not become the case because it is just wild to go back and forth from like, yes, this team can totally compete. They're, they have a chance at the division. Watch what they can do. They're finally putting it together. They've won eight of their last 11 or whatever down to, nope, just kidding. Suck again. Yeah. Losing six of the last seven. I mean, it is just a back and forth that yeah, is really difficult to, to put together and cheer for Danny. When you're trying to cheer for this team, whether it's in Milwaukee or in Chicago, where can people find you and your takes? Well, at Sunranto on Twitter, that's where I always am, streaming, posting, complaining, celebrating, all the things. 
Follow me. Awesome. Follow at Sunranto. You won't want to miss any of Danny's great takes. You can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can also find me now at Blue Sky at BCB Sarah. They don't allow for underscores over there. And uh, yeah, with Twitter doing its whole rate limit exceeded nonsense this week, I decided I, I was lucky enough to get a Blue Sky invite from our dear friend Infield Fly Girl. And thank you for that. Um, so you can find my takes there as well. You can find my writing at bleedcubbyblue.com and you can follow the show at, at Cup of Cubby Blue. We will be back at the end of the most important series since the last two most important series to find out if the Cubs are still alive or if they've turned themselves into sellers at the deadline. Till next time.